Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning in. It is so special to have you here, but I wanted to ask you a quick question. Do you like hearing from me? Not just in this way on the podcast, but what would you think about getting a little bit of sunshine into your inbox every Wednesday morning? That's exactly what I send to everybody that has signed up for my email list. Every Wednesday, I let you know what the new podcast is that's dropping. I also give you free resources, books I'm reading, quotes I'm loving, recommendations, and just whatever thoughts are stewing in my brain. And I'd love to have you hang out with me over there. You can click the link below to sign up for my email list, and I would love to see you in your inbox. Hello, hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. My guest today and I go way, way back, way back to college at UC Davis. In fact, we studied human development together at UC Davis, and I guess let's just say that my guest hasn't stopped studying since. (laughs) I just got my bachelor's degree and called it good, but this woman is on a mission and she's doing some really, really incredible things and I cannot wait to jump into our conversation. Her name is Jodi Lizenby and she is a PhD candidate in clinical health psychology at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Her research centers on psychosocial stress during the perinatal period, especially labor and delivery experiences. She's currently an obstetric psychology intern at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she provides psychotherapy to women who are pregnant, postpartum, or experience other reproductive health challenges. She's also a DONA-certified birth doula, and before graduate school, she volunteered in this capacity for several years with the San Francisco Homeless Prenatal Program and at San Francisco General Hospital. She has a strong, lifelong commitment to birth equity and reproductive justice work, and her passion for empowering others shines through in all that she does. She holds a master's in psychology from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and two BS degrees in psychology and human development from UC Davis, go Aggies. And in her free time, she enjoys spending time with her partner and their two mini Australian shepherds exploring the outdoors and learning new tricks. And I can attest they are adorable, not just the Australian shepherds, but also her partner as well. Without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now, let's get climbing. Hello, Jody. Hi, Kaya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat today. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited that you're here. You know, officially, this is now you're going to be the third person from human development at UC Davis since I had our dear friend Jessica on here as well. (laughs) So we're really representing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. First, when we jump in, I would love for you to share because I just think I'm fascinated by people's stories and how they kind of ended up with what they're doing and, and where their passions had led them. So for those that don't know you, let us know, how did you end up in the work that you're doing now? What did your path kind of look like to get you here? Yeah. So I think that I've been excited about, you know, motherhood and reproduction and all of those things since I was a little kid. I was the the toddler that was breastfeeding my baby dolls and encouraging others to do the same. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I bet that was quite the conversation starter. 
Right. Uh, yeah. My parents sure thought it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so when I went to college, I was really excited about psychology and human development. We did some work in like toddler classrooms and stuff like that. But what really kind of got me into the place that I am now is the volunteer work that I did as a birth doula right after college. And I started doing that work because I thought I might want to be a midwife or go to med school to become an obstetrician. And I very quickly realized in spending all this time in labor and delivery settings that it wasn't the medical care that was something that was interesting to me. It was more about all of the kind of psycho-emotional support that I was giving to the people during their birth experiences. And it felt so impactful, especially because I was volunteering with a lot of folks who were homeless or very low income, or having all sorts of other sorts of psychosocial stressors, things like substance use or severe mental disorders, that really birth goes differently based on kind of the psychosocial stuff that's going on during birth, not just the medical care. And so I think that there's a big gap that needs to be filled in our, especially hospital births, in terms of attending to some of those other factors. And so I got really excited about how do I figure out how to fill that gap? And I found this health psychology PhD program that felt like it was the perfect kind of uh, coming together of all of my diverse interests. And here we are now. So yeah, it all kind of started as a birth doula. I love that. And I think it's so interesting because, you know, as of today, you have never experienced birth in any form right. besides supporting other people through that. So I'm curious too, just as a woman yourself, like, how has that experience been working with all of these women that have been through something that you haven't maybe personally gone through in that capacity? That is a great question. And I have clients, especially like my therapy clients, ask me all the time, assuming that I must be a mom because I'm so interested in this area. And for me, it's feel, felt like both something that once I do get to have the experience of becoming a mom, I will probably have this kind of new understanding for the people that I'm serving and feel like that is a huge asset when that does happen. But it also feels like I get to try to understand people's experiences without inserting myself and my own experiences mm. onto theirs. I get to really, from a curious place, say, what is this like for you? Tell me about that. And then get to respond from a place of empathy. But I don't know. I just Sometimes I think that people kind of think that's a little weird that I haven't experienced birth. I've never been pregnant. I talk so passionately about things that I've really only witnessed. And yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. I do very much want to have children someday. So that's not like yeah. out of the question, but it just hasn't happened yet. I I kind of love that you shared it that way because in one hand, you kind of can make it be a superpower and a benefit to you and your patients that you can separate the fact that you, you have no personal experience and that actually creates a, a beautiful separation so you can just focus on the experience of the patient you're working with. Oh, and I just, I can't wait to see what that experience is going to be like for you in the future, especially having all of this amazing experience um, with all of these women. You know, I too have not yet gone through the process of carrying a child or having a child. And I hope to one day if that is a part of my journey. But what I do know is, you know, just from hearing stories from my sister-in-laws and my friends and the people that I love is that birth and pregnancy is so 
freaking different for every single person, mm-hmm. how their body responds, but also their experience or how they they want their birth experience to go or how it ends up going, whether it's in line with what they want or what they don't. And and the other thing that fascinates me too is also the the psychological stuff that comes with it through pregnancy and postpartum as well. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit, and this is for people who have maybe gone through it themselves, but also people like me who are maybe just curious about the women in my life that are going through it. Mm-hmm. How how can we support women mentally and emotionally that are going through that journey if maybe it isn't ourselves? Yeah. Great question. I think that figuring out how to be part of people's tribes, as um, we think about in so many different ways, is always a challenge of like, maybe we recognize the signs that someone is struggling, but don't know exactly what to do. And Mm -hmm. there's like, like you said, birth looks different for everybody. Postpartum looks different for everybody. But what we do know is that postpartum depression is the most common complication of pregnancy and childbirth and Mm. affects so many women. Um, postpartum anxiety is something that isn't talked about nearly as much as postpartum depression. And that's a big one in terms of all of these kinds of elevated fears about what if something happens to my baby or all sorts of other stuff that comes up is postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis and just like your standard baby blues that happens. And so there's all these different ways that challenges during like mental health challenges during the perinatal period end up showing up and they are really different for everybody. And so there's no one kind of prescriptive way to help any one person going through that. And yet I think that helping people feel like they aren't alone is such a big part of that. Just conversations about, I think that like conversations can be really powerful when one person opens up to another and says, Hey, I'm struggling or I struggled. Mm. I'm sure you feel like that's true in just about everything that people Absolutely. struggle with, right? Um, so being able to kind of share those experiences, like I run a, a perinatal support group for a group at the like family medicine department that I work in right now. And everybody's kind of takeaways is usually just saying I've been through that too or validating each other's experiences. And I think that that can go such a long way. As much as that, you know, doesn't change everything. But that is so huge. And I'm so glad you bring it up because like you said, it. I think that's true for everything that anybody struggles with is just this comfort or relief in knowing like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone in this. I'm not broken mm-hmm. because I feel this way. And I can imagine, you know, I think – I think we have this pressure on ourselves, especially after certain milestones in life that like it's supposed to be the happiest season of your life. Like, for example, I got married last year and I feel like there is this like, okay, well, you're in the honeymoon phase. Like your first year of marriage is supposed to be the best years of your life. And um, if it's not, then all of a sudden you start questioning like, is something wrong? Because this maybe hasn't been like the best year ever. Like some people have given me pressure for it to feel like or like you just had a baby, like you're a mom now, you've been dreaming for this forever, like you're supposed to be so happy and grateful. And if they don't feel that way, I imagine, you know, I, I haven't had this experience, but I can imagine that can feel really lonely and isolating. And I I can imagine there also might be a lot of self-shame wrapped up in that. Oh, definitely. That's a huge, huge issue that we don't talk about very often is that so many people don't feel very connected to their pregnancies or don't bond right away with their baby or have scary thoughts that 
are really, really normal and yet don't feel normal because nobody's willing to admit them that they're having them because there is so much like self-stigma or shame or all that stuff that comes up when we're not, it's like the expectations versus reality thing of we expect to have this rosy glow about us. And then sometimes it doesn't end up working that way that you're absolutely right that that there's a lot of different sorts of experiences that don't quite fit into the like picture perfect, what we see on Instagram version Mm -hmm. of what that period looks like. I know that so much of what you do, and I mean, I think this ties back all the way to me when I first knew you in college, Jody. is you are a huge believer in self-compassion. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that is probably such a crucial element of this postpartum journey or just like the whole process. What are some ways that we can, maybe if we are struggling and then compounding that struggle with self-shame on top of it because we're struggling, what are some ways that we can practice more self-compassion through that? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that mindful self-compassion is something that I think about a lot. People like Kristen Neff and Germer and some of those mindfulness self-compassion folks have a really nice way of being able to kind of walk us through journal exercises or mindfulness or those kinds of things that are focused on how we treat ourselves versus how we treat our friends, the compassion that we so freely give to others and yet we don't necessarily give to ourselves like all that stuff can be applied to pregnancy and postpartum in the same way i think like the ability to kind of slow down and ask yourself what you truly need in this moment and then be willing to nurture yourself through whatever that is is one of those things that especially during the postpartum period, people kind of forget how to do or feel guilty doing because there's so much mom guilt around, um, you know, I don't have time for this anymore. I have to put my baby first or whatever it is. And really the self-compassionate taking care of ourselves makes us a better caregiver to others too, makes it more possible for us to show up to our infants or children or whoever too, that, I think of self-compassion being kind of a compassionate act for others too. Um, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Because I feel like, and I I don't know, maybe it's a big part of our just societal conditioning, this like Mm -hmm. selfless mother. And I think it's done such a disservice for like this next generation growing up because now we don't know how to practice our own self-compassion because we never Mm -hmm. witnessed our moms taking care of themselves. And And I don't say that in any way to blame any of those women who maybe didn't Mm -hmm. take care of themselves through motherhood or raising their children. I say that in terms of empowering us, just society in general, to know that when we take care of ourselves, that is actually how we, I think, can best love the people in our circles. Because you know, you're a new mom and if you are caring for that baby from a place of a totally depleted shell of yourself, I can't imagine that feels loving for you or your child, I would imagine. Right. I completely agree with all of that, that we do kind of, we have been conditioned to think that the like good mom, the the best mom, like the doing the mom thing the right way looks like self-sacrificing and it doesn't necessarily have to look that way. And this is kind of why I usually try to start offering some sort of psychological counseling during pregnancy as almost like a prevention um, approach rather than having to teach people this once baby arrives. It's like, if you become pregnant, it feels like 
a really motivating time to take care of yourself. I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people, when they become pregnant, start eating healthier or they start walking more regularly because the doctor told them that that's going to help prepare them for birth or you know, there's all, there's hydration, like even just water intake goes up during pregnancy because it feels motivating that like, you're not just doing all these things for yourself anymore. You're doing them for this baby that you're growing. And so kind of capitalizing on that period of time to say, okay, and all of these habits you've developed are going to keep on going right into postpartum because it continues to be an act for yourself and for your baby once you get to the postpartum period and beyond. Mm-hmm. That That's why I think that pregnancy is such a powerful time period for intervention is because we kind of are able to train people on those skills before they get to the place where they're going to be sleep deprived and it's going to be so much harder to take care of yourself too. That like the prevention approach makes a lot of sense in my mind at least. I find that so fascinating. And as you're you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And it also, I guess, is unsurprising to me that a lot of women, it takes pregnancy and having them really not not being able to be separate from another human to take care of themselves because they're they are intimately taking care of another person. Right. And I can also understand why once that child is out of their body, how it could be easier for them to let them slide. Because now it's like, okay, well, caring for my body. My, my child, that's separate from me now, instead of seeing us still so connected, even if it's not physically like connected. Right. Right. Totally. That I think that that makes a lot of sense that it would feel like that's less connected. And yet I also hear from a lot of moms postpartum, this feeling of like, it is so scary and uncomfortable that this being that has been so safe in my womb for these months is outside of myself now that that's like that connected piece and that I need to keep you safe. Like I kept you safe inside of my stomach (laughs) for all of this time. Like that's a lot of the reasons why I think that things like postpartum anxiety flare up is because we're so, so keen on taking care of this thing. That's so connected to us at the same time. And like, there's a lot of people that feel people feel all sorts of different things, but it feels funny having um, your baby not inside where it's safe anymore too. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of this, this intervention piece of the way that you want to support these women Mm -hmm. while they're pregnant through postpartum, not having any experience in this whatsoever, is that something that is already existing as a part of our like medical experience when we give birth or is or is having that psychological port not a normal thing in all hospitals? It is not a normal thing. We have a huge, huge shortage of mental health providers in this country and even more dramatic kind of shortage of people who are specialized in the perinatal period. There's amazing organizations like Postpartum Support International that are available to kind of route people to appropriate mental health providers or who provide like online support groups that are really wonderful that people can get access to. But it's really not standard care. I even right now I'm doing some inpatient work in a high risk obstetric setting um, where I'm working with folks who have really complicated pregnancies and 
I am the first person who's ever been integrated in that setting that's focused just on mental health for the obstetrics team. And I created the role. I pitched the role and I said, hey, I think this is a need. Can I come and give you free labor, essentially? And people are so welcoming of that in that space. The nurses and the doctors, like everybody loves that I'm there. And yet it's the first time that that's being done in this Mm. huge metropolitan hospital in the middle of Charlotte, North Carolina. Like you would think that there was a little bit more of those kinds of resources, but I think this is a really emerging field right now that there are psychologists that are specifically focused on that period. And most people, most psychologists are trained in more of a generalist way that I think it's kind of a new thing. Y'all, I love my smartwatch. Not only does it help me get where I need to be on time, usually, but it also helps me be more mindful and aware of my physical activity, sleep quality, heart rate, and so much more. The hardest part though, having it match my outfits and feel as glamorous as I'd like to, but not anymore. Thanks to Sparkle Bands, I have a variety of adorable, chic, and upcycled quality leather watch bands perfect for every outfit. From my cowhide bands to the tooled leather Kaya's Confidence Band with turquoise gemstones that I designed alongside the team. Now my smartwatch feels just as fashionable as I do. This women-owned company is located just down the street from me in my hometown, and I can attest they take their quality and their customers to heart. Check out their variety of high fashion watch bands and more at sparklebands.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-L-B-A-N-D-S.com. And use code KAYA10 to receive 10% off at checkout. Happy shopping. You know, looking ahead, what do you hope to see or do you see that changing or it becoming more normalized? Like when I decide to have a baby, is it possible that I could find a Jody at, at my hospital? <laughs> I hope so. I I think that there needs to be a lot of changes in our like health insurance coverage. Even like there's all this wonderful work being done right now about like Medicare coverage, uh, Medicaid coverage for um, for doulas, for instance. But right now, even doulas aren't a reimbursable uh, service from your insurer. Like there's so many things that folks who have more resources, like higher socioeconomic status folks have access to. And maybe way at the low end of the spectrum, like there's volunteers that are working with some folks, but it's like there's this huge chunk of people who don't have access to folks because it's not something that's covered by insurance or it's not something that's built into the healthcare system. And I think that there's definitely a move in that direction. There's been lots of like policy work, for instance. The Maternal Health Momnibus is this big group of policymakers that are working on improving mental health services, like especially because of the Black maternal morbidity and mortality crisis right now. There's been a huge amount of effort in that area, but it still feels like we're really far ways away from being able to have access for everyone who wants someone that's going to serve their mental health needs. Yeah. I'm hopeful that people like you exist and I'm hopeful that this is going to change. But after just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, this needs to be something I think everyone needs. Like every woman who's going through this like really incredibly huge life change. I mean, let alone the physical change that goes along with it, like having that mental and emotional support. I just, I can imagine how crucial that is for that, for that period of time, you know, and that said, 
knowing that there is this limit in that support already and there's this gap in the insurance providers and whatnot. And I think this also connects to even non-pregnancy you know, experiences. But you know, when I go to a doctor, I'll be honest, I am sometimes very intimidated, right? It's very right. much like they're the expert. They know all the things. I'm just the patient. I don't, I don't know what's best for me. The doctor is supposed to know what's best for me. And I feel like when I'm in those situations, I think I've gotten more vocal now, but it can be intimidating to ask questions or ask for what you need or know what to ask or when to ask. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, whether someone is going through this experience becoming a mom or just someone is just going to a general provider, period, how can we be empowered to advocate for our own needs or even know what options there are for our own needs? That's a great question. And I do a lot of work during pregnancy with folks trying to teach them how to be more empowered consumers of healthcare, um, especially because I think that childbirth experiences are so commonly traumatic and you feel like this huge loss of control or like you don't have autonomy in a lot of the decisions that get made during childbirth a lot of the time. So I, I definitely think about like that patient provider kind of power differential that essentially you were describing there that you feel like you know everything and I know nothing. I don't even know what questions to ask. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is I always teach patients this acronym for how to ask informed questions in medical encounters. And I don't know if this is interesting to you, but the, it's called use your brain and brain uh -huh. is the acronym. So I, love I, I love a good acronym. Let's hear it. I know. <laughs> I love a good acronym too. So I teach patients during pregnancy to ask about what the benefits for B for benefits, what the risks are for risks, A for alternatives, like what are some alternative options we could consider? I is for intuition. So what does your intuition tell you about this? Like mm -hmm. listen to your gut for a minute and see what feels right. And then N is like, what if we do nothing? What if we wait? Mm -hmm. What if we decide to postpone this decision for a later time? Like what if we choose to do nothing at this time? And so I always go through like in any sort of medical encounter, really, it's good to know your benefits, your risks, your alternatives to check in with your intuition and to consider what if we just do nothing right now? And that's like one of my favorite ones, but there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of try to take back your power in some of those mm -hmm. medical encounters, but it's really, really hard to do. I'm sure that way beyond pregnancy and um, childbirth, there's all sorts of people that struggle to figure out how to be an active participant in their healthcare experiences. Yeah. And I, I imagine too, you know, thinking about like my parents and people in my life that are also now caretakers for elderly. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have to make these really hard decisions too on behalf of somebody else. And I feel like that can also be a whole different like power dynamic and like different mental experience. I I love that brain acronym. And what I think is really cool that, that is that intuition is connected to it. Yeah. Because I feel like we forget that part sometimes. Right. Totally. And like the patient preferences, the patient intuition is an important piece of that. Like I do research on shared decision-making pretty often where in any sort of patient-centered care models, there it's kind of considered best practice for doctors or other healthcare providers to involve the patient in the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And that always talks about like, okay, what's the scientific evidence? Like, 
what are the benefits and risks and all of that, but what also is the provider's clinical experience telling them and what is the patient's preferences or values or all of those things that come into play in terms of what is important to them to be able to lead a meaningful life. And, you know, sometimes those pieces of what are my values and what do I want to be getting out of life, like, is so much more important than what any of the risks or benefits are. Like sometimes that weighs more heavily and you have to kind of figure out if those things conflict, how to move forward with that. But you talk about like end of life care with our like aging relatives or whoever that those questions about what's important to us is so crucial. Like that shouldn't be like the medicine should not be the only thing that we're, we're learning about. Gosh, I I love that. And I I think too about, you know, childbirth. I feel like there's also so many cultural preferences, you know, like certain people are like, I, you know, they want to have it natural and at home. And um, other people are like, oh my God, that's crazy. I would never do that. And I think it's it's about like, yeah, tapping into your own values as being a huge piece of that decision-making process. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many different ways to give birth. And I think that there are a lot of issues, both like on one end of the spectrum with the over-medicalization of childbirth, where we're using so many interventions and it's just a part of standard care for childbirth that it becomes like these unnecessary interventions. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's like all of this shame and guilt for some women who feel like they haven't, like there's blame if they haven't given birth in the way that they feel like is the right way to give birth or the best way. Like people who walk away having gotten an epidural or had a C-section feeling like they failed and feeling like this huge sense of trauma too, that there's so many different ways that birth ends up playing out. It's so unpredictable that for us to be able to walk away from that and say, I made all the best decisions I could with the information I had and, you know, hopefully healthy baby, healthy mom at the end of it, like is so much more important, but there's a lot of people who really, really care about what that experience looks like and walk away feeling either traumatized because they felt like they lost control over their experiences at some point or walk away feeling like, they just didn't weren't able they they failed in some way that they weren't able to do it naturally or weren't able to whatever it was that there's a lot of disappointment following childbirth yeah and i think that's why well number 1 i think that's why the work that you do is so important and i think also tie, tying back to that self compassion piece like right. after that experience and using some of those tools to like right. care for yourself no matter how it turns out absolutely yeah, it's it's so interesting thinking about kind of like where historically birth has come from to where it is now too, that it used to really be like, we were talking about empowerment and birth spaces. It used to be this incredibly patriarchal model, like the me- medical model of the doctor does whatever intervention to the patient. And we're moving more towards this like collaborative patient provider relationship And I think that that's the direction that the field is definitely moving, but there's still all of these kind of lingering 
like medical philosophies and ways that we think about what the role of the doctor is or our expectations. Like there's actually a lot of patients that even prefer that a doctor tells them what to do so that they don't have to make decisions because it's more comfortable to be able to yeah. say, my doctor knows best or whatever. Like it's just really interesting, even though we're moving towards more patient empowerment, that there's so much of that, like expectations of what that power dynamic like that are still kind of coming through. It's so interesting hearing you say that because as you as you said that I am someone who has struggled with decisions in the past. I have, <laughs> I tend to be an indecisive person. <laughs> and um you know, I have no idea what I will be like as a parent and maybe I will have more powerful opinions once I'm going through that experience and like getting mm-hmm. ready to like carrying my own child into the world. But when you were talking about like, there's a lot of people that just say like, doctor, you know best, make the decision. I'm like, crap, I think that's going to be me. At least Kaya today, not pregnant. I'm like, that sounds kind of nice to let somebody else make those decisions. <laughs> and that counts as a patient preference or a patient value. That's like, true. I'm going to have self-compassion for that. Okay. <laughs> exactly. That's okay too. And if that's how you want it to be, that you don't, you get, the doctor gives you the gift of not having to make that decision. Like, yeah. wonderful. Go ahead and take that route. But if you also want to have a little bit more control and be in the driver's seat a little bit more, it's like, let's try to get people the information that they need and understand what the right questions are to ask and all that stuff if they want yeah. to at least. Okay. Random question for you, Jody. Okay. Um, one of our dear friends also was a guest on the podcast, Jessica. She's a therapist. We all did human development together and both of you guys took it a lot further than I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, she's the best. We were talking about, we were talking a while back about therapists and, you know, finding a therapist. And she's, you know, as a therapist, she believes in the power of having a therapist, right. not for herself as well. But she talked about how if you go to a therapist and you don't have a great connection, feel free to shop around, try different ones out. Yeah. I'm curious when it comes to our medical providers, mm. maybe when it comes to like, you know, whoever we're working with as our OBGYN or whatever that looks like, do you have any thoughts or insights on is our medical provider something we should shop around for? How can we, if, if maybe we don't have one already, how can we find one that is maybe a good fit for us? Because they're all so different. I mean, they're just humans within mm-hmm. – this specialized fields and not all humans click well. Like, do you have any insights for someone who's maybe wanting to get, and it, it doesn't even have to be someone who's going through childbirth. Like I was, mm-hmm. it took me a while to get a new medical provider, just a general physician here mm-hmm. because I was so intimidated by the process. Yes. I think that the shopping around till you find somebody that you feel comfortable with and feel confident in is a really important piece because there's also so many different kinds of providers. Like I just helped my partner find a primary care physician recently, and we went to family medicine, for instance, because it felt like the family medicine school of thought was more aligned with what she was wanting from her medical experiences. Or like for me, I think that if I got pregnant, I would probably look for a nurse practitioner um, Mm. or a midwife because I feel more comfortable with some of the philosophies that are taught in that school of thought as opposed to someone who's more trained in surgery, like an obstetrician. Like there's so many different ways that providers are trained that really trying to shop around like on specialty and all those things to find somebody that fits with you is such a good idea. And I totally support that. 
I think it's tricky with pregnancy and childbirth because I think a lot of people get really stuck on finding the right prenatal care provider because it's the person that they want to have at their childbirth. And oftentimes with the way that labor and delivery works out, the person that you are hoping is going to be at your birth is not the person that ends up being there. I think that it happens like kind of I hear that a lot. That you like think that they're going to maybe be able to be there and then it ends up just being whoever's present at the day that, that you go into labor. So mm-hmm. I think that like finding a practice, like a setting that you feel really comfortable in for your childbirth oftentimes is about as good as you can do. Like of course, the prenatal care that you get is really important to find the right doctor to be able to do all of your pregnancy appointments and stuff. But I think a lot of people are really disappointed that they meet somebody for the first time when they show up to give birth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hear that all the time. I can't remember who it was now, but I was just talking to someone last week about that. They were talking about giving birth to their child. They're like, yep, my, our doctor was gone. So we had to meet a stranger the day. And so I, I you know, yeah. hearing you say that, I do feel like that is very common, even just from from what I've heard from friends and whatnot. Yeah, it happens all the time. You know, this is a little bit of a random side tangent, but as we were talking about the patient-provider power differentials, it got me thinking of how I have felt in other situations outside of just medical situations. So, for Mm -hmm. example, I don't know if this is going to be relevant or not, but it came to mind, (laughs) so we're going to talk about it. Um, After I started my business, I had to, you know, pay taxes because I don't want the IRS to come and knock on my door. (laughs) Not that I make that much money, but I was so intimidated by taxes, number one, and just Mm -hmm. numbers because I didn't understand it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, humans want to avoid things that are uncomfortable. And so I just like, out of sight, out of mind, I'm just not going to look at the numbers because I don't understand them. Also, not looking at them is not going to help me understand them. But I got to a point where I was like, okay, I have an accountant. I need to go and talk to my accountant so that I can get these taxes paid. And I was terrified and I put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. And I walked into his office and I sat down and I said, okay, I have a really long list of questions. I have no idea what I'm doing and I don't really understand what any of this stuff is. And I was so embarrassed and I realized I had so much shame around it. Like I had this fear of I'm going to walk in there and he's going to think I'm a terrible business owner, what an awful entrepreneur, that she's not cut out for the job. And you know what he told me after I said those things to him as I'm sitting there? I'm like, I have a long list of questions. He said, well, good. That's why you have hired me. I'm here to help you answer those questions. And it was this huge like weight off my shoulders and realization of of course I don't know the answers to these. I'm not what? a freaking accountant. Like <laughs> his his job, like my job isn't to just know everything or else I wouldn't need him. Also his job is to help people like me that don't know everything and be receptive to those questions. He's a service provider. And it, just going through that experience, I feel like it connects back to what we're talking about with the patient yes. provider. You are not supposed to know all of this stuff. You didn't go to medical school. And also it is a-okay to ask questions. You should You should ask questions. Right. Oh my gosh. That's a perfect metaphor for the reason why so many people don't seek healthcare services, even when there's something going on with their health that they really need care for, is that there is shame in not knowing or shame in having waited so long to get this treated or whatever it is that there's a lot of people that even like like the, the like classic, I didn't know I was pregnant story or that postpone their prenatal care because they feel shameful about some aspect of that decision or whatever it is that 
yeah, that's a huge issue where people aren't getting the care that they need. And like things go undiagnosed forever because people aren't telling all of the symptoms or feel embarrassed about some of the symptoms or haven't talked to other people about their experiences so they don't have anything to compare to on what's normal. Like I'm thinking of endometriosis, for instance. I work with one client who currently who has been struggling with um, an endometriosis diagnosis that was undiagnosed for over a decade. Um, And like that one, for instance, I think that a lot of us don't know what a normal amount of period menstrual pain is versus what's what's normal. What's how do we compare my pain to your pain when we've only experienced our own pain? Like those kinds of questions are really really hard when we're not talking about them and mm-hmm. feel like we shouldn't go to like I can deal with it. There's a lot of that like like oh, it's not that bad. I should be able to deal with this. It's almost like, um, and I've noticed myself do this before, like gaslighting ourselves a little bit (laughs) of like, it's, it's really not that bad. Like you're fine. You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. That happens in childbirth a lot too. Or even like, oh, there's so many horrible stereotypes. Like when I think about the black maternal health crisis, that's such a huge area of concern right now. Will you touch on what that is briefly for people that aren't maybe aware Mm -hmm. of it? Yeah. Just uh, black women are, I think it's three to four times more likely to die during childbirth than Mm -hmm. their white counterparts. And um, so all of the severe complications of pregnancy and childbirth and the postpartum are the, the risk factors are elevated for black women. And when you look at why that is, it really comes down to racism itself, more so than any sort of like, there's not like physiological underpinnings of those differences. It's really that they're, we're in a racist society that they're not getting the same level of quality healthcare treatment or have been exposed to generations of huge amounts of stress based on like systemic racism that Anyways, all of the risks are higher for, for Black women. And so what I was what I was going to say about that piece is that there's all sorts of horrible stereotypes, even about pain based on race, like in, oh. in childbirth settings, for instance. It's less likely that providers are going to believe Black women when they, when they say that they are in pain and less likely to receive treatment for things like endometriosis just because of the, like it's almost like there's this this perception from some healthcare providers that they're strong and mm. that they aren't going to need the epidural or that kind of thing that there's yeah. a lot of really really harmful stereotypes in labor and delivery settings but in all sorts of medical encounters too yeah wow that is crazy that is so wild but man and just learning how to listen to our own bodies and the signals that they're trying to tell us instead of ignoring and pretending that there's nothing wrong. I mean, I think we all have examples in our life of people that have been like, it's fine, it's fine. And then they find out that it's not fine or that they waited too long. And, you know, growing up in a ranching family, I feel like we also like culturally in agriculture, we are trained to like be tough and like rub some Mm -hmm. dirt in it. And I grew up an hour from the nearest hospital. And so there's also this level of like, 
well, how bad is it? Do I need to drive an hour one way to go to the doctor? <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, my grandma, like this tough, badass pioneer woman, we have learned now, and my parents are, are caretakers for her, and we've learned now that if my grandma says or admits any amount of pain, we need to take her to the hospital wow. because she's just someone who will – grin and bear it and just like not say anything. And it can get really, really dangerous. And so, yeah, learning how to listen to your body and honor what you need. And I think, I don't know, it's better to have peace of mind than to just let something go undiagnosed. But that said, I wanted to ask you if you had any thoughts on this. Of people who are maybe distrusting of Mm -hmm. medical providers or someone who is maybe like, I, you know, maybe they had an experience where they went in the past and they're like, well, that didn't help me. They didn't tell me anything new. I'm not going to go and just waste my time and my money, especially if there's so many hoops to walk through, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, with insurance and stuff, you have to go to your, your, your general person to go to yes. a specialist, to go to this. And it's, it can be really freaking frustrating. And I know there's a lot of people who just throw up their hands and they're like, whatever, I don't think I'm dying. It's fine. Like, how do we encourage people that maybe feel that way? to go, go through the process to take care of themselves, I guess is my question. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point because there's currently hardly any transparency in terms of what medical care is going to cost. So especially for folks who aren't insured or even like copays and stuff, like the cost of seeking medical care can be really intimidating and navigating the healthcare system to figure out which provider you're going to go to and how to make an appointment and all of those things, like that can be really, really hard. Plus, I, I have some colleagues that do research on institutional betrayal. Like, I think that a lot of people have had negative experiences with the healthcare system that make them less likely to seek services in the future. You think about like, Folks who have been told over and over that it's their weight that's the problem. I was listening to one of your other podcast episodes recently, and that idea that if we're told kind of over and over, hey, it's your weight that is the reason why you're having this health challenge, like that can be really invalidating as an example. There's all of these different factors that make people so much less likely to seek medical care. And yet, at the same time, if you don't, then there are so many consequences that that's why I kind of talk about this patient empowerment lens of we all have to use this really imperfect system that's as good as we've got right now and trying to figure out somewhere or someone in that system that you feel safe with or feel like you can at least have enough power in that encounter to be able to advocate for yourself is so important because we really do need medical care in a lot of different ways. And like, yeah, of course, there's some weighing of pros and cons. If you've got a tickle in your throat, maybe you hold off and take an emergency or whatever. Um, But if you're dealing with something that you feel like is is feeling wrong, like you don't want to wait till that gets even worse. Yeah. And I also... I, well, I don't know how this is representative of um, the medical industry right now overall, but I just as an example, I actually called my uh, general practitioner this morning to make an appointment for an annual checkup. And again, not sure if this is representative of everyone's experience or like the influx of patients at this point, but I just, it is late September, 2022. And the earliest I could get on her calendar is late June, 2023. Oof. Oof. 
And then we yeah. wonder like, what's going on with that that makes that the case. Right. And and again, I don't know what the reasons are for that and if that is something that most people are experiencing right now, but I just think about that example being like, gosh, I almost didn't even book something because I'm like, well, if I have to wait that long. But I thought, you know what, if I wait longer, it's just going to push it down the line longer. But something else I've that helps me, I don't know if this is helping other people, but I feel like what happens when I get into a situation where I need to have a conversation, whether it is with a medical provider, an accountant, my husband, whatever it is, sometimes it helps me to write things down, Mm -hmm. the things I want to ask or the points I want to bring up or the things I want to make sure that I mention and like put it in a note on my phone so that when I show up, when I'm in that situation where I'm like in an uncomfortable setting, I may be a little bit intimidated. I just like my brain gets distracted. I can open up that note on my phone and be like, okay, right. I wanted to ask them about this nodule that feels weird over here or whatever that is. That really helps me feel more empowered and focused and remember the things I want to bring up if I think about it ahead of time and then kind of have it written down to approach them with. Yeah. Or keeping a running list over time too. Like yeah. I keep a grocery list in my notes app in my phone. Like why don't we keep a health concerns list and see if it comes up again? I also think it's really helpful sometimes to talk with someone else who knows you well, whether that's your partner or your parent or whoever, to be able to say, hey, what are some of the medical issues I've had recently? Like, what are some things that I should probably get checked? And inevitably, your mom will say, well, your late aunt, great aunt, like died of an (laughs) aneurysm and you should probably have whatever checked or like there's always... Other people have different perspectives too Mm -hmm. that I think is sometimes helpful. Like I reminded my partner recently, hey, there's this thing that you were dealing with three months ago that you never had addressed. Like let's add that to the list of things you want to talk to the provider about or whatever it is. Such a great point because if we're feeling okay today, we will forget to bring it up. So that's such a great point. Such a great point. Jody, this has been such an insightful conversation. Um, I have loved it so much. I want you to remind us as we start wrapping up the the show, I want you to remind us again of that BRAIN acronym because I think it's such a good takeaway. (laughs) Okay. So when you're you're facing a medical decision or being faced with some sort of um, medical intervention or procedure that you're considering, you have to use your BRAIN. And BRAIN stands for benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and nothing. So those are kind of the five questions that you can ask is, when you're using that. And that comes from a doula school of thought, in case you were wondering. I had a doula teach me that a long time ago when we were talking about how to help patients when they're experiencing childbirth pain and exhaustion and have been in labor for so many hours. Like, How do we help them figure out the right questions to ask when inevitably those are times when we can't remember what we would have wanted to ask. So yeah. that's my favorite acronym. <laughs> so good. I love that. I love that. Jody. before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners or offer to them today? I guess one of the things that I wanted to convey, I think we talked a lot about how many challenges there are during our reproductive health journeys today and about how many ways the medical system has failed us or kind of how many challenges there are in seeking healthcare. I also want to just leave with a note of how beautiful those experiences can be and how life-changing those experiences can be. Like we talk so much in our society about how For instance, birth is this scary thing or this painful thing or whatever it is. And 
oftentimes those things that are really scary or painful or whatever it is are the most productive and purposeful and turn out to be these really, really transformative experiences that are completely unforgettably life-changing. That I think that we all need to tell stories of positive experiences with healthcare Mm. and positive experiences with birth and moments that pregnancy was really wonderful because I think that, you know, we remember the one really scary story, even if there were 19 other really great stories that went pretty well. And so, you know, I just also want to say like, those things can be really beautiful and wonderful. And let's try to share those stories with each other too. Mm, I love that. I love that. What a beautiful way to wrap up this show. So Jody, what are some maybe resources that you can share with someone who is making some of these decisions or is seeking some of the support like you talked about today? Um, where can they go to learn more? So I'll, I'll share two resources that I think are really important ones that can be accessed nationally. The first one is Postpartum Support International. Um, that's one that I mentioned a little bit earlier on the show that has all sorts of great information, but it also kind of helps route you to the support that you need if you call them. My favorite, favorite thing that Postpartum Support International does, though, is they offer these free online support groups. There's over 20 different support groups that include just a general perinatal mood support group. There's Black Moms Connect. There's Queer and Transparent Support Group. There's one for Latinx moms. There's Perinatal OCD. There's a whole bunch of different, more specialized groups that you can find yourself in that are a really, really nice way of getting some community support. The other one that is a really useful one is we now have a national maternal mental health hotline that gives 24-7 free confidential hotline for pregnant and new moms in both English and Spanish. And so it's, you can call or text, it's 1-833-9-HELP-4-MOMS. So 1-833-943-5746. And you can always just Google the National Maternal Mental Health Hotline too. But those are the two kind of good crisis and for help finding a referral to other providers that will be able to help. Awesome. And if you guys are listening, we will make sure to link both of those resources down below in the show notes. Take advantage of them if you need them. Well, Jody, thank you so much for joining me on the show and for sharing your incredible wisdom. I hope, listeners, that this has been helpful for you. If you're someone who has gone through the pregnancy journey, is thinking about going through the pregnancy journey, or it has someone you love going through that journey, and also just some great tools and insights too as you navigate your own health, whether or not pregnancy is going to be a part of that journey as well. I know this conversation has been incredibly insightful for me. So again, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom in your heart today, Jody. This was so fun, Kaya. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course. All right, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.